Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, I want to share an interesting statistic with you. Um, So many of you know I post a lot of videos online answering questions from people. And of the last year, probably seven to 800 videos. And believe me, this is not me bragging. It's going to tie into what we're going to talk about. Uh, But so over the last some odd 60 days, November to January, uh, there were like 128,000 people that viewed these videos. And here's the thing, of those, over 2,500, 2,709 people left comments, right? And the reason I bring this up is because most of the comments that they leave are what spurs here. Let me respond to another video, and I'm going to explain this in a minute, because most of the people will comment, and they'll say, oh, they didn't know something was in the Bible. Or they'll say something is in the Bible, and it's not. Like I had a woman just tell me a couple of days ago that, You know, the Bible says we're not supposed to wear a cross. I made a video about something. She decided, oh, by the way, the Bible says you're not supposed to wear a cross. And I'm like, well, I have multiple of them. (laughs) Wear them regularly. And that's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere does it say that. So I responded to her, which uh, prompted more people responding. And then there are other people. They don't know what's in the Bible. Other people were lied to about what's in the Bible. So there will be people who comment and respond and say, wait, I was told blah, blah, blah. And I kid you not, uh, didn't make a video about it, but was in a, uh, a Christian men's group where someone had said that there are no prophets other than the ones named in the Bible in existence today. And I'm like, well, that's not true. There are a lot of false prophets out there. But God says there are people that he uses to speak specifically to towns, nations, congregations, whatever. Sorry. But that's what the Bible says. And someone messaged me this morning. It was like, right as we were about to start worship practice, it was like, hey, is this really true? Because I've always been told that there are no more prophets, there are no more spiritual gifts, there's no more of any of this stuff. And I'm like, I'm about to start worship team practice. Can I talk to you, you know, respond later? But there are a lot of people who are lied to about what's in the Bible. And a lot of the comments are people that, hey, I didn't know this thing I was doing was sinful. I've always done this. I've always engaged in this. And I'm like, hey, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you. I'm not trying to argue with you. But I do need to correct you because the Bible says yada, 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 right? So this particular thing that you thought was great is sin. Now, we've walked through a lot of this before. Right, talking about false teachers, talking about the importance of people and how they need to, like, not just bring your Bible to church, but read it throughout the week. It's kind of like, you know, getting to know a family member or a friend. If you only do it once every so often, you're only going to know this much about them. But the more you do it, the more that you know. So we've talked about this, but um, the Apostle John in addition to writing the Gospel of John, which is not what we're going to go through, he wrote three letters that addresses a lot of this topic. First John, Second John, Third John. First John's like five chapters. Uh, Second John and Third John are each one chapter, so I figured let's just lump them all together and walk through them all. 
So that's what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks doing. So if you want to open your Bible uh, to 1 John, which is toward the end of your Bible, um, and if you've been around any length of time, you know whenever we start a new book or a new series, we only spend a couple of verses. We only go through a couple of verses the first week because I want to let you know why this is relevant to your life. Why are we going through this? How this can help you in your Christian walk uh, and why God intended it to be there. So while you're turning to 1 John, let me give you a little bit of background. So the Apostle John refers to himself throughout the Gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loved because he really believed that, hey, God loved me, and Jesus loved me unconditionally, so he referred to himself as that throughout the Bible, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, because we need, if we're Christians, we should believe that Jesus loved us unconditionally as well, right? He's not putting himself above everyone, he's just acknowledging the truth. He felt like God really loved him. Uh, he was also the youngest apostle uh, when he was walking the earth with Jesus, he was somewhere between, uh, theologians say somewhere between 14 and 20. Some even say early 20s. I think he was more like 17 or 18 years old. All of the other apostles were like in their mid to late 20s, early 30s. Uh, so this also makes him uh, the last surviving apostle when he wrote this. He wrote this somewhere between 85, 95 AD. Some say it was even up to 110 AD. I think it was 85, 90 AD, so uh, he was the last surviving apostle. Uh, he was in his 70s to 80s at the time that he wrote this. Uh, all of the other apostles had been uh, murdered, tortured, killed, some beheaded for their faith. And it's not that he wasn't. He also was, I think he was boiled in oil. He was whipped multiple times. Uh, and then he was uh, sent to a, a prison island um, as like the last resort. And... Some early first century Christian writers say that he actually left there and went back, but I don't remember exactly where he died. Uh, but most of what he talks about is what we need today. We need people who know that Jesus loves them, that know the truths of God's word, and are willing to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, not, not being disrespectful to what you believe, not challenging what you believe, just telling you the truth of what the word of God says. And that's what he does. Uh, he starts out his letter confronting uh, some of the false beliefs that existed in his day. So in John, 1 John chapter 1, this is what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now this may seem kind of basic, but it's actually similar to how he starts the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us, and the Word was God. So he acknowledges Jesus as the Word. He acknowledges Jesus as God. But here he starts out, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He starts out saying, hey, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus. We heard him. We've seen him with our eyes. We've looked at and we have touched him with our hands. The reason he emphasizes that is because in that day, starting in the first century, there was this first belief that Jesus was only a spirit because God is a spirit. So there were people who believed that, you know, God is a spirit. God says that in his word, God is spirit. Uh, and so they believed if Jesus was the son of God, then Jesus was a spirit, which 
denies the whole, like all the prophecies that says Jesus will be born in the flesh, denies all the other apostles who say, yeah, we ate with him, we touched with him, you know, we, we shook hands with him, we dipped food with him. And this led to them saying because Jesus was only a spirit, because God is a spirit, they also believe that only spiritual things matter. But like, since God is a spirit and Jesus was only a spirit and they didn't believe he came in the flesh, they thought only spiritual things matter, so what you do in the flesh doesn't matter. So you can praise God on Sunday and you can worship and you can repent of any sins, but come Monday through Saturday, you can do whatever the heck you want. Smack your mom, kick the dog, uh, turn over the fish bowl and laugh at it while it drowns or whatever, and do whatever you want, as long as you're in the right place spiritually. So John was going to confront a lot of what they were saying. Uh, and they also believed that knowledge was the priority. And here's the problem with that. The knowledge that they had wasn't based on truth. So John starts out confronting what they claim to know with truth. So after saying that, yeah, we have touched and we've seen and we've looked at Jesus, he said the life appeared, we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Then he goes on and says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So, Yeah, it's, it's the Apostle John. Yeah, the Apostle John wrote all of this. And he's telling them that, hey, the reason I'm proclaiming this to you is so that we can all have fellowship with God. And then he goes on and he says this, uh, we write this to you to make our joy complete, which is important because he gives four reasons why he wrote this letter, four reasons why it's relevant to us, four reasons why we can look and say, oh, well, maybe there is some of that that applies to my life. So I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes uh, walking through those reasons. The first one he gives, like he said, he said, we proclaim this, what we've seen, what we heard, so that we can have fellowship and we write it to make our joy complete. So the first thing he says is, hey, I just want to make it clear. I want us all to be in fellowship together. That word fellowship is a word that means koinonia, which literally means to be in community, to be there for one another, to hang out with one another, to fellowship one another, but also to make our joy complete. And here's the thing. Joy is different from happiness. Joy our joy comes from being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. No one can take that joy from you. However, comma, happiness is situational, right? If you go to a restaurant and you have a really great meal, you're happy. If you go to a restaurant and you go to one where they don't know how to make a hamburger at all, you're not happy. When you have a child, you're happy. When a child's in their terrible twos, not so happy. When they grow up and they have to move out because they're graduating, it depends. Some folks are happy, some folks are sad. When they have to move back in because they can't find a job, it depends. Some folks are happy, some folks are sad. So happiness, situational. But you can have joy no matter what the situation is. There are people that experience joy when they're going through medical problems, financial problems, relational problems. It doesn't matter the situation. They still have their joy because their joy comes from God. So he says, I'm writing to this to you so that you might, one, have fellowship 
but also joy amongst Christians. But then he says this also. He says, I'm writing this so that you can stop habitual sin, the you plural, because there are Christians that, that and I talk to them all the time, and you probably have talked to some who, I, I keep hitting my head against this one sin, this one stronghold, this one barrier, this one addiction, this one thing that I can't break through. And this is what John says. He says, my dear children, this is in chapter 2, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, or as I would say, however, comma, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. So he's saying that, hey, I'm writing this to you so that you don't engage in those sinful practices that separate us from, the, from God. However, if you do mess up and you do sin, he says we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, that we can go to to help us from that sin. He also later is not just going to talk about habitual sin, but sin, because there were people saying, well, I don't need a relationship with God because I have no sin in my life, and he's going to call them out and say that's not true. But this also doesn't mean that Christians are sinless, that we're perfect, that we're never going to mess up, that we're never going to make a mistake. But it does mean that Christians should sin less, that we should sin a lot less than we did before we entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he's going to call out people who were like, well, I can keep doing the same thing. And he's like, no, you can't, because if Jesus says, thou shalt not, and you're like, but I'm still gonna, then maybe you need to question your relationship with Jesus. So he talks about fellowship, joy amongst believers. He says, I'm writing this so that you're able to stop habitual sin. But then, and this one, again, just because I'm a pastor, near and dear to my heart, he says, I want to refute the false teaching that's out there. And there is so much false teaching in the body of Christ. He's not talking about fake news. He's not talking about uh, social media influencers. He's talking about people in the church. Uh, he says this, first and foremost, uh, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And he's talking about those people who have stepped across the line of faith and continue to dig into and read the word of God. And let me ask you, how many people had their grandmothers drag them to church when they were young? Yeah. And there's a reason that our grandmothers dragged us to church. It's because their grandmothers dragged them to church, and then our mothers dragged us, and it's just on and on. Because they know that once you get this information in you, it's going to help sustain you in your relationship with God. So he says, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray because there are, again, false preachers over and over and over. The Bible repeatedly warns believers about false prophets, false preachers, and false teachers. And I just want to spend a minute on this because this is so important. And this is what causes so many people to be led astray. And we looked at this when we walked through the Gospel of Mark. It says they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. That word teach means to share doctrinal truth. 
It says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The phrase teachers of the law means scribes. It's not people who knew the Bible. It's people who, if you imagine today, uh, we would not say that people who print up Bibles to sell for a living, that they're biblically knowledgeable. But that's what they thought. The scribes at the time, the people who copied the word of God, the Old Testament, over and over and over, they thought, oh, well, they must know the law. But they didn't know the law. They knew what it said, but they didn't know the intent of it or the spiritual intent behind it. So he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, but just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And two really important things. One, uh, even the impure spirits, even the demons acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, even though a lot of false teachers don't. But the most important thing is that in the synagogue, in the Sunday celebration, were people filled with impure spirits, demonic people, and I'm not saying that they're in the churches today. I have no idea. But there are people in the churches today who are opposed to the things of God. And there are people in the churches today leading churches and, and, and preaching and teaching who are opposed to the things of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow old. And the indication is that those false prophets are what's going to cause the increase of wickedness. And because of that increase in wickedness, this is why we see a lack of love, a lack of justice, a lack of compassion in the world today. Right? Uh, Peter says this in 2 Peter, there were false prophets among the people, and he's writing to the people in his day saying there were false prophets in the Old Testament. He says, just as there will be false, false teachers among you, and he's talking to the people in his day, and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Heresy just means something that detracts from a predetermined truth, especially when it uh, comes to the biblical doctrine. So Peter is saying, hey, there were false teachers in the Old Testament. There were false teachers today. There are going to be false teachers, and they're going to introduce heretical, what we call teaching, things that detract from the word of God, including the people today that say that, well, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And there are people today preaching from pulpits in churches that we would say, oh, that's a God out of your church. Look at how filled it is, hundreds of people. But the main thing they preach is, hey, Jesus was just a metaphor for what God wanted to reveal to people about good and evil. Right? Peter goes on and he says this, many will follow their depraved conduct, not just what they teach, but they're going to follow what they do, bring the way of truth into disrepute, which is why so many people are unwilling to accept truth. And he said, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. And there's the three G's that pastors talk about when people go into ministry. Because as you can see, it's not like we're making millions of dollars by going into ministry, right? That's not why people do it. But there are people who do it for the three G's. One is for gold or for money because they think, oh, I don't want to pastor a church. My goal is to pastor a mega church so I can get all the money and this, that, and the other. Or for the glory. They just want to make a name for themselves. There are plenty of people who go into ministry, call themselves pastors, call themselves reverend, call themselves whatever because they want attention and glory 
or the third G, and this applies, doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, for the girls. Some people do it, and you hear pastors all the time getting into illicit relationships, and if it's a female pastor, for the guys. But those are the reasons why they do it. Uh, and then Jude echoes that and says, hey, dear friends, I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, which is important. Explaining to people, here's what salvation is. Uh, here's how you step across the line of faith. Here's what happens when you do. But he said, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And here's why. Instead of talking about salvation, he said, I want to write to you for, to contend for the faith. Because certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the, gross of the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign and Lord. And there are so many congregations where uh, not only is the truth not preached, but where people talk about the fact that, hey, you can do whatever you want. God doesn't care uh, uh, about how you live your life. God just cares that you repent, and, and then if you go out and do it again, he's okay with it. There are so many churches that teach that Jesus isn't real. There are so many churches that teach that, hey, more important than your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with this congregation, this denomination, and how much money you tithe. So this is why John talks about, hey, fellowship joy amongst believers. I want to write to you so that you stop habitual sin. I want to write to refute the false teachings. But he also says, I want to write to ensure that you know your relationship with God, that your salvation is assured. And I put this in the amplified version uh, to make sure we get it. He says, I write this to you who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on the name of the Son of God, that's Jesus Christ, in the peculiar services and blessings conferred by him on men. This is basically saying, I'm writing to you who call yourselves Christians, and I'm writing to you who acknowledge that he died for your sins. And I'm writing this so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have life, yes, eternal life. He says, I'm writing to you so that no one can try to tell you that you need to do, and this, he's going to talk about this, and we'll get into this in a couple of uh, weeks when we get there. Uh, those who said you have to do these certain things, you have to do these certain works, you have to do all this stuff, and he's saying, no, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the Bible says this repeatedly everywhere, and we've talked about it multiple times, once you do that and you step across the line of faith, then God gives you his Holy Spirit so that you are assured of your eternal salvation, right? So all of these things are probably things that we look at, and some, there are probably some where you say, ah, I've got enough joy in my life. I don't have to worry about that. Some people may look and say, I could use some more joy, especially after the previous year we've had. Some people may look and say, hey, I'm not dealing with any habitual sin. And other people may look and say, I desperately need to know how to stop going through this same thing. Some may look and say, well, I don't need to refute false teaching. And if you're here, you don't, because we teach the word of God. But you may have people in your circles of influence that are ascribing to or listening to or hearing, you know, all these YouTube preachers and all this stuff. And they're walking down a, a, a path that's leading them away from God, and some people may just need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I had a woman, two, three, now that I think about it, 
messaged me last week, and I haven't responded to them yet, saying, well, hey, how do I know that I'm saved? Yes, I prayed the prayer, I did this, but how do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt? There are so many people out there that could use some of this information. As the band comes up, uh, I'm going to put this uh, last verse up on screen. And this is actually, same author, John, but this is from the Gospel of John. And John says, neither, and this is right before he goes to the cross, he says, and he's praying to God, he says, neither for these alone do I pray, it's not for their sake, only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever come to believe and trust and cling, rely on me through their word and teaching. He says, this prayer I'm about to pray, as he's praying to God, he says, it's not just for the people in this room, it's for every single person who will ever come to believe in Jesus because of their work. And that applies to every single person since then. And this is part of his prayer, that they may be one, that they be united just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. He says, I'm praying not just for the disciples in the room, but every single person who will ever come to put their faith in me as Lord and Savior after them, which is so many people, but it definitely includes us. And he says, I'm praying that they would be united, and we can't be united if we're allowing the enemy to steal our joy, if we're engaged in habitual sin, if we're walking down the path of following false teachers, or if we're not even sure of where we stand in our relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I want to pray before we sing this last song. And we're going to go back old school uh, and sing a hymn that hopefully most of you do. But God, we are so grateful that despite whatever we're going through, that you use your word, that you use your son, that you use your Holy Spirit, so that we might experience your joy, so that we might be able to walk away from those things that pull us away from you, so that we might be able to know and read and engage in the truths of your word, and so that we might be able to know that we are yours. And we pray that you would just drill this into us, and we pray that in the next couple of weeks as we walk through your word, that you will open our eyes and our ears and our hearts for the specific message that you want to communicate to us through your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 10.37 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.